good evening whenever you are joining me. My name is Jill and these are Jill's Journals Out Loud and it is Wednesday, I think it's the 8th, 2022 and I have been thinking all kinds of thoughts this morning in terms of what I wanted to talk to you about but this month is the focus on safety and security and I just heard a little excerpt from uh, one of the moms at the Uvalde Texas shooting and I thought you know this crystallizes so much of what I've been trying to communicate and so I want to go over that as a nervous system response and how we have been conditioned to believe certain people and certain things can keep us safe and one of the things I've been trying to you know drive home is that all of that is a lie and that we are innately born with a primary nervous system response whether that is to run towards danger to run away from danger or to freeze up in the face of danger and so before we do all that I'm just gonna do a quick nervous system recap in that uh, you know we all have all three responses to uh, fight, flight, or freeze. Everybody has a combination that they utilize, but one of the ones I am focused on is those who run towards danger when things are dangerous. Uh, All of us have a fight at some point, but the thing that I believe is most critical to understanding who we are and how we operate in the world and how it affects us in so many ways, whether we're a man or woman, is how our nervous system defaults work because we are electrical, chemical, magnetic beings and we are manipulated with all three of those mechanisms. We are made to believe uh, or we choose to believe we get sick when all those systems are interfered with. Uh, And why I started this is it began to occur to me, well, maybe the path to healing and the way out or way through all the things that are going on around us is if we can truly understand who we are based on our nervous system then maybe we can all become more effective in this process. And I think the Uvalde shooting illustrates tremendously where we are right now in our society, our culture, and our declining civilization. And while I have been avoiding uh, listening to these things or talking about it or even watching anything, this little interview just crept up uh, out of nowhere, so I wasn't planning on hearing what she had to say but it just highlights so clearly where we are and what's happening and what's going to happen if we don't all step back and look honestly at ourselves and at our culture and decide which decisions we would like to make. So that's where we're going that's how we're moving forward if you're new uh, as I said my name is Jill Uh, I post Monday Wednesday Friday podcast Uh, Monday Wednesdays are free Fridays are a little more in-depth with content and are for paid subscribers so new subscribers I'm so glad you're here and uh, new paid subscribers I am deeply appreciative that you all are making this possible 
Okay, let's launch. So uh, I was sitting around doing my journaling, having a different set of thoughts uh, as I am in a puppy problem uh, perspective, like how are we going to deal with all the animal abandonment and betrayal and neglect and abuse and children being abused and neglected and abandoned and betrayed. Uh, and so I was, you know, thinking about that, writing about that. And then in the background, this conversation came up with the mom who I'm sure everybody understands what the Uvalde shooting is, but I think the most important piece is how much information that came out on the front end is turning out to not be true. And I think the latest count is the police stood down for 75 minutes. Uh, you know, previous accounts were told, we were told that they couldn't get in, that the doors were ba barred uh, because they have sophisticated methods now to keep people out, but then the police can't get in. Uh, we were told police were inside. We were told all these different things, but what this mom did and said contradicted all of that, and the narrative is beginning to change. And what she just said is she pulled up closer than even the police cars were. She jumped out of the car. The police tried to stop her. Somehow she got, I think they handcuffed her. She got out of handcuffs. They, I think they finally uncuffed her because they were tasing other parents trying to go in. But she ran into the school so she could get in. The doors must not have been that barred. She ran into the school. She took out her first child opened the door and I guess uh, either she took the child out or the teacher who wouldn't open the door, they finally did, took those children out and then ran back closer to the shooter to get her second child. And as she reports it, there was nobody inside. There was no police inside. There was no security inside. Just her and whoever had been at school and she could hear the shooting actively taking place, but she went in and went for her children anyways. Now, this is exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about Wired for Danger. She's a young mom. She's not very big. She's thin, small, and, uh, you know, just a mom. She's not a sophisticated warrior, law enforcement, highly trained, ex-military, uh, video game professional, right? She's just a mom. Now there's other moms and dads standing around. She's just a mom who charged into the gunfire. And she didn't stop. That is what I'm talking about when I talk about wired for danger. She didn't follow the rules. She didn't listen when they said no. She didn't express concern for herself when she saw all these great, big, strong men, highly trained, heavily armored, with big, scary guns sitting on the or laying on the ground, the snipers and the other guys behind their car doors with their guns drawn. She didn't listen or wait for them to do something. She ran into the building because her primary nervous system response was there is danger 
and I need to protect my children. Now, I'm not saying all of us should do that. I think that there's a percentage of us that need to run into the danger. Uh, There's a percentage of us that need to stay out and take care of the wounded who come out of the danger, right? There's a percentage of us who need to be able to organize all the systems that get the right people there to deal with the danger. But only one mom got in. I take that back. I think some police officers did sneak in and take their kids out, but that's all they did, right? And then one border patrol agent said, I'm not following orders. I'm going in. He got shot, but he also was able to uh, take down the shooter. Now, all those people with all those weapons and all that training and all that support just stood around and one mom and one border patrol agent with one gun went in and took care of everything. Now, let's just take a step back, right? In every movie, we have the solo hero, right? That goes in and shoots up 80 million people and he never dies and he saves the day. Uh, We have movie after movie after movie that shows us all these fabulous action scenes where everybody's shooting and all these cool things are happening and people are sliding under and climbing over and swinging by and dodging and uh, MacGyvering uh, solutions. We have all this magic that happens in the face of violence on screen. And I don't remember what the statistic is, even from back then. I know a long time ago, before the internet, is that children had seen more than, I think, eleven or 12,000 murders by the time they were 11 or some crazy number. Um, so we have been awash in violence, in rescue techniques, in hero stories and bad guys uh, in shoot 'em up video games in instinctive shooting protocols uh, in training and training and training and bigger weapons and stronger better body armor and more sophisticated sur- surveillance and higher definition microphones and visual uh, thermal imaging one mom one border patrol agent went in and did what had to be done. Now, what are all those other people doing? Now, those guys, if I told you, if I asked them, do you think you're a wired for danger guy? They would say yes, because their life is violence. Their life is training. Their life is warrior. Their life is protection in their mind. One mom, one border patrol agent out of hundreds of people standing around. Now, if any of you watched that video about Kevin, I already forgot his last name, the photographer who uh, ended up committing suicide after he took the photo of the child, you know, sort of waiting to die while the buzzard watched. And he wasn't alone. But part of that little video was something called the bystander effect. And the more people that are watching an event the less likely people are to be involved. We've seen that repeatedly, you know, with rapes happening, uh, with violent assaults happening, you know, on subways. Most people just watch other people get hurt 
Uh, and now we live in a world, if you intervene, you'll probably get killed or you'll be prosecuted as the aggressor. If you hurt the guy that is the thief or the attacker or the murderer, somehow the person trying to save the day ends up going to jail. So we're in a very uh, manipulated world out of uh, social engineering. So I'm not going to say that's not happening. This is not normal. In previous times, all these psychologies still took place. These nervous system responses took place. But you weren't as... uh, you hadn't been conditioned and and trained, you know, and uh, there wasn't as much input into manipulating you. You know, you didn't have TV, you didn't have movies. I mean, you had a few books maybe in the book writing time and you saw a little bit, you know, but you weren't, you know, you just did what you had to do. It was more of a natural time. Uh, and now we're in a very unnatural time. But that makes all of this just ever more important because we've been told that the police will keep us safe. Well, that's not their job. Their job is not to prevent. It is to theoretically intervene sometimes, but mostly it's to deal with the after the violence. And I don't think most people get that. Uh, There's just no way, even if they do respond, there's almost never a way they're going to get there in time. Uh, even the good ones are overwhelmed and overworked and stressed out and and handcuffed, right? They're hogtied by all the rules and the protocols and the craziness, uh, the lawsuits, the media coverage, you know, the complete, uh, you know, you look at regardless of what you feel about, you know, police or police officer shootings, uh, you are crucified if you're the wrong color in the wrong situation. Everybody else goes under the radar, but if you happen to be the wrong color in the wrong situation, it's your life is over. All of a sudden you're in jail because you were simply trying to do the right thing. So I am not pointing fingers. What I'm saying is that I'm trying to shift us out of this idea that somehow somebody else is responsible for our safety and our security and how nothing could be further from the truth because those who are wired, those whose nervous system response is to run into danger, they can look like anybody or anything. I have a book called Attack Proof and uh, these are two guys who specialize in self-defense and what was fascinating to me about them, it was kind of at the end of a journey I took on violence and uh, how to stay safe, self-defense, uh, is that there were, I can't remember their names. I know my memory is just like gone, sorry. But there was a couple, two guys who went over to, I think it was Hong Kong. Uh, it was somewhere in Asia, but or Shanghai, one of those. Uh, but they were on the street <laughs> And they really got a taste, and this was, you know, in the early 1900s, I think. So they got a real taste for what street violence was and what was the best way to deal with it. And they came up with an entirely different self-defense system. Uh, They had people shoot from the hip, not point up and shoot and make a stand, because uh, if you've got somebody charging you, that was the fastest way. They came up with physical uh, maneuvers to 
take somebody out really quickly because in a real fight, not in a movie, uh, most real fights only last about 30 seconds. Whoever's going to win, it's all over in about 30 seconds. Uh, They came up with all these different interventions that they used and learned to Uh, perfect basically on the streets of whichever uh, city that was because there was uh, if if you know anything about Asian gangs their gangs they're extremely brutal and so uh, there was a whole culture that they had to learn how to navigate and they brought that information back to America and there were some uh, police departments and some military training around that but you know there's no money in that kind of thing. There's a lot of money in assault weapons, in body armor, in fancy vehicles and expensive equipment and intricate training. And there's a lot of money in all this other kind of stuff that we are quote unquote being told to keep us safe, right? We have special SWAT units. We have uh, special FBI units. And we have all this very sophisticated military style policing going on. And what do we see? We see, you know, one person that's never committed a violent act being stormed by 20 to 30 FBI agents uh, because they, you know, walked around on the front yard of the the uh, Congress area, right, uh, on January 6th, right? But we can't have anybody go in when somebody's shooting children. So... These are questions that are cultural, and and you know we'll say, oh well, it's not my problem. I'm not there. I didn't vote for that. I don't believe any of that. But you will when it happens to you. It will be real when it happens in your house. And most people don't care about anything until it happens to them. And uh, and I don't say any of this stuff, you know, to, to make you afraid. I'm just trying to make you aware and smart because if you understand what your nervous system is, you'll know that when things really hit, it doesn't matter how much training you are. If you are a rule follower, which the Milgram experiments told us that 80% of people will follow unethical orders, they'll just watch or do something bad. Uh, And then out of that remaining 20%, you hope there's a few who will have the nervous system to move into the danger. So statistically, it's a very tiny number of people that will actually be able to do the hard thing, you know, running towards the scary, dangerous thing. But if you know that about yourself, you can position yourself or at least be aware what your response will be and your limitations and how best maybe you would need to move forward, whether that be, uh, you know, being part of a community that has a real defense system or just knowing that if something happens, you just have to go for it. And that's, I brought up those guys in the attack proof because that was the story that made me feel better when uh, they they told, you know, they were teaching self-defense and they were talking about this one woman. She was very tiny. She was like five foot two. She was attacked by four grown men, and she got away. And the secret to that was, I'm sure she was a wired for danger person. She didn't hold back. She just went full, no holds bar on all of them. And one of the things that happens is if you know that you're that kind of wired for danger person, 
the only way you can really do what you need to do is you need to remove that inhibition barrier, that part of you that starts to question that part of you that uh, is looking around and seeing what other people are doing. To be effective in a truly dangerous situation, uh, and I'm not talking about when it's you know a strategy moment, I'm talking about when you're fully engaged, is you cannot hold back. You cannot hold back. You have to just take off the governor, as they say, and go. And most people will be wildly taken aback by that. And it has less to do with size at that moment and strength than it has to do with the power of the energy force that you've become. Now, I'm not saying that four men can't subdue a five foot two woman. It's entirely possible. But if you've ever been like I have inside of an ER and watch them bring in a PCP man or woman, you've got seven or eight people on top of that man or woman and they can barely hold them down. We've been conditioned to be passive. And in a truly dangerous situation, you have to take the governor off and you have to move forward and you have to not follow orders and you have to do what you believe is the right thing, especially when you're trying to protect children. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, if a guy steals a... uh, you know, a loaf of bread going full crazy after somebody like that. I'm talking about a truly rare moment. But I think it's really important to know that about yourself. I remember, I think I've told this story, so sorry, but I remember, you know, I had, Freedom was my first dog. He was a wolf German Shepherd mix. So he was 120 pounds. He's a big dog. And when I was uh, living in San Pedro, I was in a duplex and I was upstairs and uh, downstairs was the owner. He had a wolf, quote, dog that was 95% wolf and she was the same size. She hated my dog. It was funny. She was afraid of the vacuum cleaner. So he would put and I, I was upstairs, I had to pass their door, which, you know, when it was hot, they kept it open. So he would put the vacuum cleaner in front of the screen door when we walked by just to keep her from lunging because she would go through the door, she would go through car doors, not just at us, but anything. She was all for, she should not have been, you know, in a house, in a little tiny yard. So we shared a yard, uh, and the, the rule was only one could be out in the back. And Freedom was just never my first dog either he was never a yard dog he just would sit out there so I didn't use it very much but one day apparently I forgot to close my back door and she came in the house and I remember coming uh, from the back of, uh, bedroom to the living room seeing her on top of my dog with her mouth around his throat and I remember having the thought she could kill me and I jumped on her anyways. Now, the good news about that was one, she deferred to me. So she she saw me as an alpha compared to her. And two, the owner came in shortly after that. But in hindsight, I'm like, well, that was really dumb. Because <laughs> had she turned on me, you know, there wouldn't have been a whole lot I could have done about that. But my instinct was to just move into the danger. And so I think it's really important to know that about ourselves. But what this Uvalde story illustrates so powerfully is that just because you look strong and you have training and you have 
weapons and you're big and you're masculine and you're tough and you swagger and you have sniper training and you have uh, a title right as an expert that doesn't mean crap because any human being that is calling themselves a protector that lays on the ground and listens to children being shot by a child because he is he's a, has weapons but he is still a child i think what is he 18 right so that is not a wired for danger person and that is not somebody you can trust with your safety and as we think about you know these changing uh our changing world and our changing environment and uh, I had mentioned it to someone here and he's like, oh yeah, there's, you know, there's a group of guys here that, uh, have been talking about that and, you know, would be calling themselves security. You know, I, as I'm listening to this, I'm reminded that that doesn't mean anything because people who think they're tough because they can handle a gun and they can go through all these trainings and simulations and they can play video games and they can say all the right things and wear all the right clothes and ha- and look all the way that culture has taught us tough guys or tough women act. That doesn't mean squat when real danger is happening. And so it's so important to file this for yourself in two ways. One, know who you are so you don't get yourself in trouble and make things worse. If you are a person who freezes up, do not put yourself on the front line. If you are somebody who just can't do the danger, put yourself someplace where you can help. Whether it's, you know, in the old days, whether it was you're just the one reloading and handing the gun to the other person, whatever, right? That when you understand yourself you can be so much more effective as a team but also don't trust because somebody looks a certain way that you'll be okay and that includes you know people who are violent they pick on people that they believe are easy prey that's how you walk that's how you hold yourself that's that energy that you carry so you can be a fight freeze or flight person it doesn't matter you can still hold the energy and the walk and the confidence of somebody who's not a victim so there's a lot of things that go into this, but just listening to that little mom, I thought, you know, that would have been me. You know, I just would be F you. I'm going in. I'm, you know, you're going to have to tase me, and then you're going to have to deal with my wrath after the fact, and you're not going to want to do that. And how conditioned we are to believe that just because somebody talks the talk doesn't mean they can walk the walk. And... We don't think about it until it's happening to us. And, you know, one of the other big secrets to all of this is who attracts the violence and the problems in the first place. And that's what I just said. If you are an easy target, you will most likely attract the the violent people. Now, you know, if things break down to a certain point, it just doesn't matter because you run out of you know the rules change a little bit but and I'm not saying that's going to happen and I hope it doesn't happen 
but I think as uh, you know the 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 edges are getting pushed you know we're getting closer to things being questionable uh, the reason I'm doing all this this was sort of how the morning started uh, as I was looking at the dog situation which I'll you know talk about later because it's still not resolved that uh, there's you know dogs barking in the background someone had sent me an article that there's going to be three and a half million turned in dogs and cats with no homes uh, now we're looking at no food for animals or children and soon maybe us uh, how it will be impossible to save everyone and how these are going to be extremely difficult times when we can't help and uh, you know you've heard me complain a lot about all the people yelling about the problem and I you know I was making that decision again affirming that even if nobody else wants to listen just the few awesome people that are here I will still just keep saying you know that the right thing to do is to work on what's going on within us to understand that the experience is about what we are here to learn and grow and become and you know when we can to do the right thing but I think you know the most critical piece to all of this is going to be you know finding a way to get through without burying ourselves in guilt or sacrificing everybody you know because we can't take care of everyone I mean that's sort of the conversation I'm having like how many animals can you take before everybody's going down the tubes that was that video I shared about the sanctuary in Costa Rica you know it, they had 1200 dogs in a sanctuary built for 200 and most of them were still in terrible condition and it wasn't the owner's fault and he was all he and she were always on the verge of not being able to feed them and they were wildly in debt uh, you know I don't have the answers to these questions is it better to feed to save a hundred and let a thousand die or is it better for you know eleven hundred to die I don't have the answers to these but these are things that we are being asked to contend with you know starting we're all getting taken out of our own bubble of safety and comfort and are going to be asked to face things like violence maybe when we have no experience with it or lack or hunger or or you know uncertainty or you know no shelter all these terrible things that those of us who have really good hearts would never wish on anybody right and you know if you're like me you just want to rescue and protect and take care of everybody and you can't there's going to have to be lines that are drawn there will be boundaries that decisions that you have to make and you know I'm trying to encourage all of you to think about these things because once you make that decision then you can make peace with it when the time comes and not you know get lost in your guilt or sacrifice yourself because you couldn't say no or you couldn't see what was coming or you decided to trust someone that you every instinct in you said don't trust and that you know how do we step back but still participate I I don't think we stop what's happening I don't think we uh, we don't just allow it in terms of not doing anything we have to fight where the fight is and we have to step back where the step back is but I think the hardest part of all of what's happening is that we are most people are going to be forced out of the spectator observer model uh, and I think you know that's where I have something to offer that most of these people screaming and yelling 
don't. You know, I've spent 20 years working with people in desperate situations. You know, I've spent 15 now, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to do survival. So I feel like I can come talk to you in a very uh, real way, not a theoretical way, uh, not in a, you know, a fantasy prepper, I've watched a lot of video games and I have movies and books way. Uh, you know, I'm watching everybody. Trust me, it's going to be ugly. Even those of you who think they've got all your ducks in a row, it's going to be ugly, right? I mean, we're all extremely unaware of ourselves, of our limitations, uh, and our reactions in situations that we, as those of us who are Americans, or at least Western, have not had to contend with. We have not had... Uh, unless you're in certain areas, roving gangs. You know, I remember one little girl died. She was sitting in her house, and the bullet came up through the couch and killed her, right? I remember another mom who, uh, you know, the first week her son died by a drive-by shooting, and she was in there the second week, and her other son died by a a drive-by shooting and I remember you know she just was gone she ended up having uh, you know to be sedated and taken to a psychiatric hospital because she couldn't deal with it anymore it was too much Uh, you know I'm reading this book about I shared with you in the last podcast about the realities of life on the frontier and you know most children died before the age of five Uh, you know it was most men lost wives and childbirth. We in America have not, or Western civilization, have not had to contend with the realities of what life can be. And I don't want to, but I also know what works best for me and where I see people fall apart the most is by this unawareness of who they are Uh, and what their own limitations are and what's real and what's not real Uh, and you know not wanting to take responsibility and they want to give that over to other people and that's where the human traffickers come in that's where the criminals come in you know anytime you don't want to take responsibility you're opening the door for somebody else to come in and most people aren't doing it for your good And so these are, you know, huge questions, and uh, I get that they might not be fun, but I don't know what else to do because my greatest hope isn't to say that we're just going to live in a fantasy world. Uh, The only way we evolve spiritually is to deal with all this ugly stuff, and I'm trying to help us find a way through it without losing our mind and breaking our heart and sacrificing ourselves in the process. And so there's no easy answers. There's no quick solutions. But there is the opportunity still. We have electricity. We have internet. We have a little tiny bit of time to step back and really think about this stuff and who we want to be within it. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean I'm not going to stand around with my jaw hanging open if somebody came in guns blazing. But it's important to be aware of who we are. And the nervous system is our most powerful tool in times of crisis and stress. Uh, You know, when everything's just going along and, you know, people think a bad day is because they chip their nail or they have a hangnail, right? That's a bad day. Your nervous system gets the same workout, but 
it's not a real emergency. We are in the time of real emergency, and there's nothing more valuable than understanding our nervous system, who we are in response to it, and how we can best navigate it without, like I said, losing our mind or breaking our heart into so many pieces we just don't come back. So it's still very early in the morning. It was quiet the whole time I did this. I'm very excited. Uh, There's lots to do because we are officially moving into 90 degrees and Uh, With that, I hope you all have a fabulous day. We are slowly inching out of spring and creeping up on summer shortly here. Time is moving really, really fast. And I think we have through August to do anything that we want to do. But by September, I think the gloves will be off until the election is or is not completed. So this is the time to make these big decisions about who you really are going to be in this process. I think we're kind of past the point where we can do a lot of physical changing to our environment, but there's always now that will allow us to look within and decide who we want to be, how we want to be, Uh, and that's what we're doing here. So thank you for joining me. Uh, We're going to take a big old deep breath, and I, my friends, will see you next time.